They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. For the yeah. great introduction, as usual. Yep, he's killing it. Um, I've run out really of, I've run out of uh, different ways to humorously imply that we keep Jake as a indentured servant in some kind of inhumane condition. So, just imagine. Yeah, so maybe the joke, the the joke wells a bit dry there. It is. Well. Either way, uh, I'm really excited for this episode. We're not going to have three sections because it's really just one set. It's just banter the whole time. <laughs> this time. Banter don't stop. Yep. yep. So today we're doing a special, a special episode. We asked for you guys to submit questions. And so we got a, a good, a good amount of questions, I would say. <laughs> and... Uh, we're really excited. I'm really excited. I've seen them just so I could have some answers and so I could put them in a nice order that makes some sense. Elliot hasn't seen them, so he's going to be I've seen answering off the cuff. He's seen two of them that required more prior thought, I thought. Actually, but, I came uh, up the first one I, I was able to answer pretty quickly, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're gonna dive in first. We gotta go through some of these uh, the silly questions that are not real questions. So Elliot, uh, let's just we'll knock these out pretty fast. Uh, firstly, is God real? I'm thinking that's a yes. I'm feeling that's, a yes on that's that. That's a big yes from me. Big yes from us. All right, so that's easy. If you want proof, uh, I don't know. We exist in the same world as Damien Chazelle. That seems pretty strong proof to me. So oh, I would refer you to the works of Thomas Aquinas, but whatever oh okay well whatever what are the two what are the two uh next one uh this is from jake could jesus microwave a burrito so hot he couldn't eat it (laughs) i actually did read a really long article about uh trying to answer the paradox of omnipotence it was pretty good pretty convincing although i can't really i don't have (laughs) the rhetorical skills or the memory to uh, sum it up here, but. Yeah. Well, I, I would say no, just cause we're involving a microwave and I think a microwave is a limiting sort of thing. So I think the microwave is not going to be able to make uh, a burrito so hot. So, all right, we'll take it. Uh, we also had, why can't I be on the show from our favorite cousin? I don't believe in favorites. So this person doesn't exist to in my in my mind, so we can't answer the question in that in that sense. Sure, I would say it's because we watch all of these all of these hard R rated movies. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a, a firm over twenty one requirement to be on the uh, 
the thing. That's why Jake's had to wait so long to be on because we had to wait for him to turn turn 21. That was it. Or the silly one. So now we're going to move on. The first question, this was from our father because he likes to see us argue. Asked, what movies do we disagree on the most? So uh, I could go first because I already know a couple of these, but just firstly, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I really like, and you really do not like very much at all. That movie is so boring. Oh my gosh. You know, I don't find it boring. I was honestly surprised that you didn't like it. Can you think of any other really glaring ones besides Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Um... I don't know. Dune. I liked Dune a good deal more than you did. Yeah. Part one. I didn't the hate Neville it. Neville one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to think of a, another movie that one of us loves and the other one like really dislikes. Well, see, I most I think Dune is maybe the only one that I can think of where you love it and I like genuinely don't like it. Like, you have some movies that you love that I'm kind of like, ah, it's okay. But I can't think of any that you love that I'm like, oh, that one sucked. That was really trash. I mean, I wasn't all that impressed with Chunking Express or In the Mood for Love. Oh, it could be. I do really like In the Mood for Love quite a bit. Yeah. Chunking you're Express, just, just... in case you don't know, the it's the Guinness World Record for movie with the most pointless opening 15 minutes in film history. It's whatever. We're not, we're not, we're not going to get into an argument here. There's a few, I think for the most part, we agree though. I feel we're sort of in the same, uh, what's the name of that? The political window that like moves along the political spectrum. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Not me. Oh, maybe okay, one of our well, listeners. Then I'm abandoning does. this metaphor and saying, and just saying that we're generally in the same ballpark. Yeah, I would, I would agree about that. All right, so here's here's the next question. Um, this is what genres of movies would you want to direct in? Did you just say genre? <laughs> genre. Whatever, Elliot. Well, you know, proper uh, pronunciation costs nothing. But improper pronunciation could cost you a lot. That's a nugget of wisdom from me. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, Are you going to answer the question? What was the question? I was too distracted by your pronunciation. (laughs) What, What types of genres of movies would you like to direct in? Or I guess for you... I don't know how much you want to direct, but you are a writer. So what sorts of genres of like writing sort of attracts you? You just said genre again. Whatever. I'm going to say it multiple ways. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, hmm. I like, there's no, there's very few uh, genres that I dismiss out of hand. There are certain genres that I like more than others. So, like, I don't like horror, but I still watch the occasional horror movie. Uh, And I don't like musicals, but 
End of sentence. <laughs> I have watched musicals in the past. Um, but I guess I I really like fantasy, so I would I would like to write or direct direct or what have you or oversee uh, a an an epic fantasy, you know, in the in the vein of Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. Um. I, I like a good detective story, hard-boiled detective story. So like your Seven Vins and your Prisoners and your Silence of the Lambs. Those are all extremely dark. I, w- I don't know that I would go that dark, but I, I really like a really good, well-crafted mystery with a jaded, world-weary detective. Because I'm jaded and world-weary. Sure. So yeah, I would say I probably either a fantasy or a mystery. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, uh, I think comedy. I'm very attracted to the idea of like what is funny and like how can you make a really good joke. So I think comedy. And honest, yeah, I think comedy is the only thing I have any. <laughs> ability to like do something that i think is okay that any other genre i'm kind of coming up against my own limitations that i don't think i'm smart enough to do like sci-fi or like a mystery thing because you gotta be really smart for those i think dumb comedy is really where i (laughs) slide into my best Mm. all right well then kind of going off this uh this was a similar a question in the similar vein is there a difference between your vision of like a perfect movie and the types of movies that you would choose to like make or the types of things that you would choose to make i'm not sure i understand the question well you know i guess i could answer this and maybe that'll get you closer i think for me it's that they're like my version of a perfect movie is like good and is better than what I'm probably capable of that. I think my vision of like a perfect movie is, you know, sort of a movie. And this is kind of connecting to a later question too, is a movie that's very clever and very purposeful and has all of these fantastic moving, you know, pieces. Like if you think of like an Edgar Wright movie or like an early Guy Ritchie movie, that they're almost like a Rube Goldberg machine that they have all these plot elements that come together into these fantastic things that I love watching movies where that happens. And I think I am not talented enough to make that happen. So I think any movie that I would make would veer, would have to veer in like a different direction. Right. And that I don't know if I have the right demeanor to like direct a Schindler's list or like silence movies that like would be per that maybe are perfect that I don't think my general outlook on life is one such that I could make a movie like that. <laughs> Cause they're kind of downers. Uh, I, I still don't think I understand the question. Uh, it, are we asking what I think makes a movie good or how a movie attains perfection and how that relates to the types of movies that I would hypothetically want to make? Sure, yeah. 
Just do that, yeah. <laughs> Forget the spirit of the question or the questioner. Just answer what you actually understand. Okay. Uh, well, we gotta do what we can. Yeah. Um, I think it really varies from movie to movie because what makes one movie good would make another movie absolutely awful. So, like, to take one of my examples, what makes Seven good is the gritty tone, the uh, really dark, heavy atmosphere of it all, the the interplay between uh, the the murderer and the detective and the retiring detective and his new partner. And all of that, all of those elements are what make the movie probably my favorite David Fincher movie. But if you graft those elements onto like the Lego movie, (laughs) the gruesome killings and depressed nihilistic old men (laughs) uh, giving up hope on the idea that they'll ever find satisfaction in life. I think that then the Lego movie would be really bad and I would hate it. So I guess what I'm what I'm sort of saying is that what makes a movie good is a clear, focused vision that everyone involved is committed to and don't don't really stray from. Sure. Let me ask this question though, and this is not a survey question. This is just something I'm wondering off based off of this question. Do you think that every movie has like the ability to be perfect like if transformers was done with like everything you're talking about like a cast and a crew that are all dedicated to like a singular vision do you think the concept of a movie can hinder like what it can be or if it can be you know like do you think the perfect version of transformers is still just like a seven out of ten movie that's just like okay um, I think it would be perfect for somebody, not for me. I think that movie watching and movie reviewing is a fairly subjective experience. So, like, maybe Transformers as it exists now is perfect for, like, a 10-year-old. And I can't say, hey, 10, 10-year-old, you're stupid and your opinion is invalid. So there are some yeah. concepts. I don't think I would ever find a Transformers movie perfect because... I would have too many questions about the what, biology, mechanics of Transformer life. What would you call that? <laughs> the, uh, the ins and outs of Transformer I, life. But for somebody who loves Transformers, somebody who you know grew up watching Transformers, playing with Transformers, I think that there is probably a Transformers movie out there in the ether or in existence that could be considered perfect for them. And to them, I say, more power to you. You're so you're so magnanimous. Wow. Well, I just you know I don't want to I don't want to stomp all over anyone's childhood or what they like or don't like unless they don't like something unless they like something unethical. Like if you really like uh, Birth of a Nation because you think its message about the inability of African Americans to govern themselves. Yeah, I'm probably going to stomp all over that. I'm going to say that your opinion sucks. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's I think that's pretty pretty fair. 
All right, well, now, next we've got a question from the old Jake Brand, another one. He did submit a real question. Jake, well you submitted a real question? Hilarious. Great job, kid. He he wanted to know if we could change the ending of one movie, but you could only choose one. What movie would you change the ending to? So this is the ones I asked you before we start recording. So what was what was the one you came up with that you would change the ending to? Well, my answer is probably impacted by the fact that I just saw this movie uh, very recently and for the first for the first time. Nothing else really sprung to mind. There are, endings typically are where a movie falls apart for me because I think that it is actually quite difficult to make. Endings are probably the hardest part of writing. But maybe because it's just so fresh in my mind, I would change the ending of Vengeance, uh, which is a movie that's out right now, written and directed by B.J. Novak, the guy from The Office. He was it was on the office. And for the first like two and a half acts, I was all in. Uh, I thought I was honestly thinking this might be my favorite movie that came out this year. And then the ending is just so a lot of people do a lot of really uncharacteristic things that the movie didn't set up well enough. And the resolution between the resolution of certain conflicts is really rushed and sloppy. And so I would just love to see that ending redone, maybe give it a little more time to breathe, put a little more work into making the resolution make sense and actually putting more of it on screen because a lot of it happens off screen. And then I would say, yeah, that movie would go from like a B minus to a solid A because the ending did drop it an entire letter grade for me more than a letter grade yeah i can't i haven't seen it yet so i don't know how much that one was i do agree with you that the ending i don't think endings are where movies always fall apart but i do feel like i finished watching a lot of movies and i'm like that would have been a lot better if the ending was a little changed i think the one i would change just because i remember in theaters being like being frustrated with this ending and this is spoilers because there's just one specific thing that i would change but i would change the ending to rise of skywalker and i would have ray stay dead at the end because i think if kylo is alive at the end then rise of skywalker makes more sense since he's actually a skywalker or at least is descended from a skywalker as well as then i think you could have watched the trilogy as like the story of him like wrestling with good and evil and it would have been significantly more interesting on rewatch whereas Ray's arc is kind of <laughs> cut and pasted and hobbled together by multiple screenwriters trying to do different things so I would that is what I would change because I think it would improve that movie and improve just my general feelings on the trilogy as a whole and the ability for them to after the fact, make the trilogy into something coherent, like what they did with the prequels and Clone Wars, that there's not a lot there in the prequels, but they added enough stuff that now you can kind of watch the prequels and be like, okay, I can kind of see where some of these pieces are. But I don't think they can really do that with the sequels because they killed Kylo. So that's what I'd do. That is not the first thing I would change about that movie. 
See, we, <laughs> well, we disagree pretty strongly do. about Star Wars. We do, yeah. I mean, I I don't think on any particular movie. I just think the general concept we kind of disagree on. I I mean, this is the thing. I don't want to get into it, man. But like, <laughs> if Kylo Ren survives, then he would have to be put on trial as a war criminal and spend the rest of his life in prison. Like, surely that's why Darth Vader died in uh, Return of the Jedi. Because, look, I believe in the power of redemption with all my heart and soul. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to face the consequences of your actions. And both of those people, I honestly wonder if that's why they had to die. Because if not, both of those people would have to spend extended periods of time in prison as uh, murderers and thieves and war criminals. All right. Well, whatever. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> we answered the question. All right. So the next, the next question is from our sister, Lydia. Uh, she asked, is there any type of movie that you wouldn't watch or that you choose not to watch? Uh, oh, I was about to say, body horror but i guess the thing is sort of body horror and i really like the thing yeah a little bit yeah i really don't like body horror uh hmm i guess like really inappropriate sexual movies like showgirls or basic instinct wouldn't watch those sure so just uh paul verhoeven movies <laughs> yeah sure uh i think I just from my experience, I think I'm usually more open to watching movies that maybe I won't watch than you that I suggest movies to you. And you're like, that's definitely going to suck. I'm never going to watch that. But I do think I won't watch, like you said, movies that I know I'm not going to like or that I know have elements that would like frustrate me that I'm not going to watch something that I think is exploitative. I'm not going to watch something that I know is like framing, like just for instance, I really dislike a lot of like romance stories because I think they handle it very weirdly. And I think cheating is treated way nicer than it should be in a lot of romance stories. So any movie that has an element like that in it, that I know the movie is not going to address it in the way I want I'm not going to watch it because it's just going to frustrate me and I won't like it. And I do watch some movies. Like I've watched way more Andre Tarkovsky movies, <laughs> who is a Russian director who makes very slow movies that I do not love, but I've watched almost all of them just because I still think there's something to be learned there. And I don't hate them. They're just really slow, but I think I, yeah. I think I'd mostly watch just about anything, unless, again, I know that I'm just not going to like it. But yeah. I could be wrong. I've watched some movies that I thought I was going to hate, and then I really liked it a lot. So, Well, I didn't think that I was going to like The Thing, and I, I, I definitely will not watch any more body horror. I didn't actually know that The Thing was body horror when I watched it, because it was directed by John Carpenter, and the only other thing of his I had seen was Halloween. And apparently Halloween is really the aberration of his. He mostly does body horror stuff. But like mm -hmm. a Cronenberg movie I would never watch. And uh, yeah, movies that are just about 
torrid, intense sexual affairs or trysts or whatever. I don't know. There, there's a push to like. Trice. No, it's not. I think it is. No, it's not. Let's you know, <laughs> just leave the pronunciation stuff to me. All right. But yeah, there, there's a push to include more sexual stuff in movies, and if that's your thing, whatever, man. I'm I'm not gonna get into it here, but. Even if I was, like, really into that, if that's – which I'm not, by the way. If that's, like, all your movie has going for it, I feel like sitting there, eventually it would just start to get weird. And I would be like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here just watching two people pretend to have intimate relations? What's wrong with me? Yeah, I do. I'm not – and even if I think that there's, like, something else in there or even if people claim – if there's going to be a lot of it, I do. Like, I'm not going to watch anything by Lars von Trier because everything mm. I've seen is that there's just a ton of that. And I'm, I just don't, my whole thing is like everything in the movie should have a purpose. And I very rarely see movies like that, that really have a good reason for things like that. No, I agree with that. All what right. A couple of old prudes we are. <laughs> I know we, I know we really can't, we can't beat the allegations that we're just old prudish weirdos. Not good. All right. Here's the next question. Uh, this is from Ben, who was on the show last week. That fantastic episode. Friend of the, friend of the channel. Friend of the channel, friend of the podcast. Yep. He asked if you could, before the inevitable contemporary reboot, who is, your contemporary cast for 12 Angry Men. I don't think we should do all 12 because that would take forever and I can't remember all of them well enough to <laughs> nail down things. But uh, the major ones, who do you think should be in, you know, juror number three, the villain sort of guy, or juror number eight, the uh, classic good, good fella? Um, hmm. I think that juror number eight, the good guy, I think that for him, you really need somebody who's very earnest. Uh, <clears throat> that's like the, and compassionate or is good at playing those types of parts because there's a lot of people who are really good at playing heroes, but their heroism is more, stoic or uh what sort of aggression based or you know there it's just different types of heroism but when i was thinking about this i thought about so my my pick would be michael b jordan because of his role in just mercy which is a great movie that i think everyone should watch and he actually did play an attorney in that and I thought that his performance of a man who was driven mostly by compassion and empathy was really good. And so I think he could really nail uh, this role. For juror number, what was the, who's the, the angrier guy? The angriest of the angry men? Yeah, juror number three was the angriest. Juror number three. For juror number three, he needs to have a lot of energy, I think, is the thing that mostly is a, mostly underpins this role so <clears throat> gosh i think that 
Christian Bale. He mm. usually he always brings his all to roles. And I think that he has enough energy to really sell that kind of wounded, bitter old man. Sure. And then the only other major one who I thought of a, of a role for is the the one with the fedora. I don't know what juror number he is. But the one who, the wisecracking one, you know? Oh, sure. Uh, for him, I think that uh, Robert Downey Jr. would be perfect for that role. The sarcastic, wisecracking, you know, doesn't really take much yeah. seriously. I think he could do really well. Yeah, I guess to toss in some of mine, the guy that I thought of for juror number three, honestly, Tom Hanks, just because I do think, I do think there's like an age sort of thing that Henry Fonda has such a, you know, kind of kind father aura against juror number three's angry, bitter father aura. So I think Tom Hanks has a similar sort of aura like that. The other ones I would put in Anthony Hopkins as the like really old guy. I think he would be fantastic. Um, and then Chris Evans, honestly, as any of the like blue collar sort of people, just cause I love, I think he's really fantastic in knives out as sort of, you know, this rich douchebag. And so I think he would be really good as, you know, sort of, one of those, one of those uh, blue collar everyman's. One of those guys. <laughs> yeah, not like me, you know, <laughs> white collar. I do. Just before we move on, I do want to say that I do think Twelve Angry Men is one of the movies that I have no issue being rebooted. I do think the original version is a lot to live up to, but I think the story just will continue to resonate and with modern politics and shifting you know cultural and political spectrums you can continue making the movie and making the movie interesting by bringing in like modern day sort of things that you, the idea of we have to achieve justice but all of these people bring their own biases in i mean you can continue remixing the story with all of the new things that exist in the world, I recently watched the like '90s TV reboot of the thing, and I thought it was, I thought it was okay, but I felt like it could have gone way more with some of the things that it presented. So that's my that's my hot take, hot film take. I agree. I think I'm Twelve Angry fine. Men. I think Twelve Angry Men is uh, perfect for a modern adaptation. All right, so now we've got we've got two more questions. We got we've got uh, what is some common motifs or themes in your favorite movies? So what sorts of things appear in a lot of your favorite films that you would say are uh, a running theme or a common thread sort of thing? Wow, uh, it's hard to answer this question without revealing a lot about my own personal outlook on life but um i think that so a lot of my favorite movies are fairly dark and fairly depressing but 
they retain a place for hope. So I guess you would I guess you could say that a motif that runs through my favorite movies is about the idea of hope. Um, and in some of them, hope is definitely on its back foot. So like my favorite movie of all time is No Country for Old Men, which is a movie that takes a very skeptical view of the idea that hope exists for, for people and, you know, for mankind. Uh, but then one of my, another one of my favorite movies is the Lord of the Rings, uh, which is all about an indestructible commitment to the idea that there is always, always, always hope. So I guess my favorite, well, my favorite endings are ones that combine them. So I guess this is the podcast of the seven, Vin, but the ending of uh, seven, when Morgan Freeman said, quotes uh, Ernest Hemingway and says, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. I think that I really connect to those types of movies or motifs or what have you of acknowledging that there is a lot of pain and suffering in life. Life is hard and it is full of disappointments, but there is reason to hope. There is reason to you. There are places where you can find contentment and happiness and they exist and they are legitimate in spite of the at times overwhelming sense of despair. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> I think you do in your personal life. I think you do kind of veer more towards uh not hope. I think you do seem more to, just with Well, me. it's sort of Whenever like it's sort of like me. a it's, it's sort of like a struggle, you know? It's a struggle that's reflected in <laughs> No Country for Old Men versus Lord of the Rings of sometimes I have trouble hoping and sometimes I sometimes I'm able to, you know, find more take a more hopeful outlook of things in my life. Yeah. Well, you should take a more hopeful outlook of things in, in the podcast. You thought we wouldn't get any questions. We got so many, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why don't you just answer the question? <laughs> um, I think my answer is that all of or a running theme that I see in my favorite movies is they're very humanistic. They're very focused on the power and importance and beauty of and of individual people that like my favorite movie or the movie I commonly quote is my favorite movie is La La Land, which is very much about the impact one person can have on another person in a very positive way. And that that's a very beautiful thing, regardless of how the story of those two people maybe end other movies like Blade Runner 2049, which ignores the larger ramifications of its plot for the purpose of being just a story about getting a dad to see his daughter again, that the human element was so much more important than this huge robot uprising thing. Uh, the Lego movie is like that. A lot of the movies I've seen recently that I've really loved are like that. I like to say that if you could boil down all of film into like one 
statement, or if you could try to, that it's, it's really hard to be human, to be like a person or a, you know, living thing. And I see that in a lot of my favorite movies. I'm trying to see, you know, Three Billboards is much more about one person's grief than it is about all of this other stuff that's going on. The Lobster is about one guy in society trying to figure out if love is real. Turns out it's not. That's what he thinks. Um, Yeah. So so I think it's just very much... um, people, the importance of people and the importance of, you know, human beings being, you know, good and nice to each other. I think that's cool. Three Billboards and Blade Runner 2049, two other movies with bittersweet endings that I really like, where people do experience bad things, but I mean, more more so in Blade Runner 2049, Kay's experience, especially towards the end of the movie, is very difficult and very tragic and it would be easy for him to give in to despair because he learns spoiler alert that he isn't real and that his his life has not been real in a certain sense but instead he does he still holds on to hope and he goes and he makes his life real by helping Deckard so yeah yeah well and I think that just goes to show just how like you said earlier that movies are such and any type of art form, really, they're so incredibly subjective that even though we have we have shared movies on like our favorite films list, what we get from them and what we see in them are so drastically different because they're both, I mean, very personal to us, that they mean something deeper than just like, I'm going to turn on a movie and, and have fun and it's going to be wacky and goofy, that it, it means something deeper. And I think that's cool. That's why I love movies, at least. Yeah. All right. So now we've got to our final final one. And this is, uh, well, it's not really a final one. There's two, but it's the same sort of question. So the first one is, what is your favorite theater experience? Like an individual experience that I had in a theater? Or what do I think makes a good theater experience? Your Yeah, an individual experience you had in a theater. Oh, that's a, um, oh, well, I was going to say that's a hard question to answer, but no, that's actually a really easy question to answer. In the waning days of the pandemic, when movie theaters were trying to bring people back, but they didn't have a lot of movies to show, they started watching, they started playing older movies. And every year I have uh, a marathon of Lord of the Rings where I watch the entire trilogy with our younger brother, Ryan. And so it just so happened that as we were getting, so we watch one every day, it it takes place across three days. And it just so happens that on the last day, Return of the King was being shown in IMAX at a theater in Des Moines. So me and him and my father, our father, uh, went up there and we watched Return of the King in theaters. And this was the first Lord of the Rings movie that I was able to see in theaters because obviously... They came out at a time when I was not going to movies. And, uh, yeah, it was absolutely glorious. And the the sound design, I'm pretty sure it gave me permanent hearing loss. Uh, the screen was enormous. And then afterwards, Ryan and I, and Dad a little bit, 
uh, were just chattering away about how much we love Lord of the Rings and how much we love Tolkien. We went to Wendy's and got some ice cream. Uh, so yeah, that was probably my favorite theater experience. Great time. Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me to that. Wow. You were in Ames. There was no way to get you in here, in there. No, I was actually there. I remember that because you asked me to go and I chose not to go. I can't remember what I did. Oh, I so did I did invite you. What are you complaining about? <laughs> yeah, you thought it would be funny if I made it seem like you had it. My favorite experience, favorite theater experience, uh, I think honestly, just because it's the one I can most vividly remember is probably Interstellar. Just because I really remember I went to it. I was not super into movies, but I was into this because I had seen it was from the guy who made The Dark Knight, and I thought that movie was so fantastic. And so I would right, I watched the trailers and they gave away like nothing about the movie. And the movie's like two hours and 40 minutes long. So I just remember sitting there and around like an hour left, I really had to pee and it was brutal. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And I got so sucked into the movie that I complete that I completely lost that until like the movie was over. And I was like, oh yeah, I have to be still. And I had to like run out. But I just, I got so absorbed and I, every time I watch the movie, I'm like, this is fantastic, but it takes me back to seeing the docking scene in theaters and it was just insane. It was so incredibly amazing. And so I think it's probably that. I did, I did experience that one with you. Yeah, it was uh, you, you, me and dad. Dad gets dragged. So dad, <laughs> dad is always part of it. Or I mean, he's not really because the other one I was thinking about, uh, I guess I'm cheating by double dipping, is oh, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Mm. Because, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't even remember why I was interested in seeing that because I didn't love the original Blade Runner. I guess I just thought that the trailers were really interesting and for reasons that we absolutely will not be getting into, I was violently, violently depressed when I saw this movie. But uh, coming out of it, I was absolutely engrossed and, you know, I was in a different place at least for a few hours. Uh, but yeah, that that experience is very special to me for emotional reasons as well as because it, it was a fantastic movie and we saw it. Weren't we like the only ones in the theater? There was not a lot of other people in the theater. And honestly, since that movie's come out and everyone comes back and it's, I mean, that and Interstellar are the two movies I constantly see where people are like, oh, underrated masterpiece maybe. I'm like, look, if you're all saying it, it's not underrated. But so many people after the fact were like, saw it on HBO or saw it on some streaming service and were like, it's incredible. I wish I had seen it in theaters. So it's always a point of, you know, kind of film pride that I was like, I saw it in theaters. We saw it in theaters. We were there. Yeah. Uh, I was also going to double dip because I was also going to say that the first time we ever went to Floor was a really fantastic experience. That Floor is kind of a indie theater. I don't even know if it's still open because they closed for the pandemic and I don't know how they could have possibly had enough money to stay open but 
we went up there to see Ladybird, and Ladybird was not. We messed up, and so the showing that we thought we were going to get, it wasn't there. And so instead, we like on a whim that I was like, "Oh, I've heard of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri," and so we went to that, and that movie was just phenomenal. And that sort of started this tradition of us going up to Floor to watch the Oscar sort of Beatty movies. So Three Billboards is another theater experience that I think about somewhat, think about a lot. All right, so the last, the last question we have is a favorite behind-the-scenes story from, from film. And this is from Ryan. This was a very good question. I was very proud of him for thinking of this. So um, what do you got? Favorite behind the scenes story. See, I'm I'm too pedantic. I I need everything to be too clear. It, like the story of how the general story of how a movie is made, or like a specific story that happened behind the scenes. I think he means a specific. I think a specific behind the scenes story. Hmm. <clears throat> Uh, I really like stories about how iconic moments come about. Um, so the story of the Here's Johnny line in The Shining coming after Kubrick's trademark 50-some takes and Jack Nicholson being really frustrated and tired. Uh, so I really like the line in The Fugitive when Harrison Ford uh, plays a fugitive who was falsely accused of killing his wife and he escapes from prison and he gets into a sewer uh, and Tommy Lee Jones is playing a cop chasing him. Tommy Lee Jones catches up to him, but Harrison Ford gets the better of him. And so he has a gun on him and he says, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones was supposed to say, then why did you run? But he forgot his line. And so he improvised saying, I don't care. Uh, which ended up becoming like the most famous part of the movie because it is a great moment of characterization of showing you who this man is and you know why he's there he's like i have a job to do it's to find this man who escaped from prison it doesn't matter to me why he escaped or what he's trying to do i don't care this is this is my job this is what i'm doing this is what i'm going to do and so that's a that's a pretty good story that is a pretty good story my uh my personal favorite, just because I find the whole story very funny, but Goodwill Hunting was written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon when they were in like their 20s and they were trying to find a good director for it, but they really wanted a director who would care about the project because it was so personal to them. Elliot's laughing because he knows where this story goes. So they inserted in the middle of the script a sex scene between Ben Affleck's character and Matt Damon's character just randomly in the middle of nowhere. Like they just randomly start having sex. And then they sent the script to directors and only one director, like all the directors sent back like, Oh, it's really good. I'm so excited to work with you. I'd love to do it. One director was like, so good. This sex scene is really out of place though. <laughs> it should not be here. And so they knew that he had read the whole script as opposed to just reading like the first couple scenes. And so they chose him. And I find that story really funny. 
Plus, I just think the whole, you know, just 20 somethings writing such a fantastic, I mean, it's such an amazing movie and it's such a, it's a real loss that they haven't really written a ton of stuff since then because I really love Goodwill Hunting. But yeah, I yeah, think that's I'm, my I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to double dip in this one as well and say that. <laughs> like triple dip. What? what? How am I triple dipping? We did The Shining and uh, The Fugitive. Oh, that's true. Okay, well, I'm triple dipping because on the, I don't remember when it was, but one of the adaptations of The Island of Dr. Moreau, Marlon Brando played Dr. Moreau and Marlon Brando was a huge diva. He was like, he was, he was really not a very good person to work with. <laughs> he, he didn't care so much about learning his lines that they fitted him with the hidden radio and fed him his, fed him his lines so he could just recite them after hearing them. And uh, it's the radio started picking up police broadcasts from a nearby uh, station. And he was such... He was so apathetic about everything that was happening that he would just say it like it's a line in the movie. So he would say, like, we have a breaking on Main Street in the middle of this monologue about, you know, making human-animal hybrids. Yeah, Marlon Brando, man. He even, on Apocalypse Now, he did the exact same thing, only they fed him his lines over cue cards. Yeah, he was a real, I don't, wow. What a guy, what a guy. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, that's all the questions or all the questions we really have time for. Um, hopefully you found this interesting or at least uh, not a waste of your life. <laughs> I hope. Or hopefully you were doing something productive while listening. You know, it's a podcast, so it only really takes up your ears. So your hands are free to, you know, wash dishes or do a run or something like that. But yeah, we're really 10th episode. Really happy that we got here. We're excited for what's coming up. Uh, not the movie so much as <laughs> who we're, we're going to have some more guests on. Uh, but we're pretty excited for the next episodes. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Ellie, got anything to close us out? Just uh, <clears throat> thank you for listening. We hope you've had a good time. Uh, and um Life is hard and full of disappointments, as No Country for Old Men teaches us, but as Lord of the Rings teaches us, there's always hope. There's always hope for a better tomorrow. Yes. And someday, maybe maybe in this life, maybe in the next, things will be better. And you that is the only time, well, that is probably the only time that I will concede the fact that life is hard and full of disappointments, but it is also full of hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, we love I feel that. dirty just for having said that. Okay. All right. Well, that's a bit too far. <laughs> <laughs>